Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yenar Passeran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And this week we're joined by Anka Richter, who is a researcher and journalist in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Thanks for joining us, Anka. Kia ora, Cam and Andy. Great to be here. I guess just to begin with, could you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do research? I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for, gosh, over 30 years. And over the last seven years, I've become quite interested in cults. I'm kicked off by a book I was supposed to write at the time about a New Zealand former sex cult. But I'll, I'll tell you about that when, <laughs> when my next book comes out, because it will be about that. And it kind of opened my eyes to, to cults and how easy it is to be sucked into them and not realize what, or realize that they are cults and, and actually join them for all the right reasons for what we think is a good thing and good content and good people. And over the years from that, from that first investigation about Centerpoint, I also looked into other cults and then the turning point. So yeah, I've been writing quite a bit about New Zealand cults and an international one, Agama Yoga on Thailand, a tantric cult, very much about the sexual abuse in those groups. So from that, and because I was close to a lot of spiritual communities here in New Zealand and around the world and festivals, alternative festivals and so on, moving in those communities, but also becoming more and more aware of some of the problematic sides of them. When the pandemic started, yeah, I saw some of those communities turn turn into absolute cesspits full of misinformation spreading. And that was a bit of a, a wake-up call. And it was absolutely disheartening to see. So my cut research, I think, opened my eyes maybe earlier on than some other journalist or just the your average New Zealand punter to, to those kind of dynamics. And I was probably quite alarmist in the early days and feeling quite isolated in that, saying, oh my God, this is happening here and this is happening there. And people in those groups are believing that. And look at those, those people who were formerly progressive hippies on the leftist green greeny side and now they're hailing Donald Trump as a light worker. So that was my first my first realization about oh wow the the spiritual world is turning into conspirituality. Yeah. Over the course of the pandemic we've seen this rise in conspiracy thinking around the world. Has that manifested differently at all in New Zealand because you have this sort of a uh, dynamic where New Zealand remained untouched by the pandemic quite a long time, but at the same time, it was at the cost of you know, quite heavy restrictions. Uh, what sort of impact did that have on the way that conspiracy thinking articulated itself in New Zealand? Yeah, it's really interesting. So first off, the conspiracy theories that were peddled here and still are, are actually no different from from all the others around the world. I mean, we have our own local 
take on some of them and our own local flavor. For instance, I remember going to the um, sentencing of the Christchurch terrorist in 2019 and outside there was a group of protesters who were full on QAnon and there, so the, the New Zealand conspiracy they were pushing was that it was a, that the Christchurch terrorist attack, which, which is done by an Australian white supremacist, was a false flag and Jacinda Ardern had just done it to change the gun laws. So that was my first contact with the New Zealand arm of Q and those affected by it. And even, believe it or not, um, there was even a Muslim victim of it doing a bit of a conspiracy rap outside court, saying, claim the same things, which again made me realize no one is immune to being affected by that. So we have, so we had the scenario, as you said, where New Zealand was basically COVID free. We were in this very lucky position of having two years where we could more or less, apart from a few lockdowns and Auckland definitely had it harder than the rest of the country. So I'm, I'm, I've, I was one of the very lucky ones down in Christchurch who really didn't have much, it didn't have much of an impact on our lives apart from borders closed and not being able to travel. So yes, we could keep COVID out, but we couldn't keep the infodemic out. And in, in, I guess in a roundabout way that made it, that probably spurred some of these conspiracies on because COVID wasn't real for people here. Unless you had relatives in, in the US or in Europe and they were, you know, they had, they were sick or they were dying or you'd watched, you know, you, you were in close contact with people who actually felt COVID in their communities or you had friends in New York who'd seen the, cooling trucks outside the hospitals, it was easy just to believe that wasn't really happening. It was just something on the news. And if you don't trust the news and the media in the first place, well, then it's easy to just think it's all a big hoax and it's not real. So I think and it, it did enable a lot of the conspiracy spreading we saw here. We had two parties in the beginning who are basically just built around um, conspiracy theories. The infodemic is the same here as everywhere else in the world. They're all singing from the same song sheets. I think it became really clear that there wasn't anything original apart from the false flag and Jacinda, and then there was another one, Jacinda Ardern being actually a trans man. So there was a lot of transphobic context content in there. And as we've seen lately, a, a lot of misogyny, and especially having a female prime minister, a lot of that absolutely directed at her. So I think that was the New Zealand flavor of it and um, made worse by the fact that we didn't have COVID. And also, we are very, I mean, I'm an immigrant to New Zealand. I come from Germany originally, as you can probably tell from my weird name and accent. But I'm assimilated enough, and I'm now a New Zealand as well, to, to know that I mean, we are very, we are conflict-shy culture here. So people don't really want to correct other people or pull them up on their stuff or say you're wrong. P people want to get on. It's a small, you know, people are very community minded here. They're nice to each other. They're kind. And it's been one of our great strengths throughout the pandemic, this whole thing of Jacinda Ardern always saying, be kind. At the same time, it probably led to a lot of complacency and even a lot of journalists really being latecomers to the debate of not realizing how deeply entrenched a lot of these awful, completely fake news, alternative health views were already in New Zealand. Um, and also because of a lot of journalists and I guess health officials don't necessarily, necessarily move in those alternative circles. They don't really have their ear to the ground in, on alternative festivals or on some of those websites and groups and communities where I move because of maybe who I socialize with, but also because of the cult research I've been doing. So all these factors combined, and then two years later, suddenly you have a massive protest outside Parliament in Wellington, and a lot of people wondering, where, where, where was that coming from? But yeah, it's been here all along, all along.
There's been a lot of debate and discussion, Anka, about the political flavour or complexion of those who've involved themselves in the anti-lockdown and anti-vaccination movement. You've Your own research draws upon your experiences with alternative lifestyles and, and forms of spirituality. We've also seen currently figures like uh, Carl Chapman, a uh, notorious uh, fascist, emerge in this context as a, a prominent face. Um, what can you say about the relationship between these protest movements and the right or, or the left? What's your understanding of the, the kind of political flavour of this movement and, and the thinking that animates it? Yeah, it's a, it's a really complex topic and I'm not an, an expert on the far right in our turn or there you know, are probably better people to speak to. But from the bit that I see and understand and have observed, it's an amalgamation of groups that you wouldn't have seen together before or rubbing shoulders at a protest. The left and the right, it doesn't even, or far left, far right, doesn't really apply anymore. You could almost say it's a lot of, they're coming together under an anti-democratic banner. The far right is absolutely prominent in it. Like I said, Carl Chapman, Calvin Alp, who runs Counterspin Media, who actually had Australian Senator Mark and Roberts on there. So definitely the political influence that that not just I and our group, Fact Aotearoa, has seen active, but also, you know, journalists who've investigated this, absolutely the far right has its foot in the door there and is, is, is pushing it. But at the same time, um, you can't just throw everyone into the same pot who was at the protest in Wellington and say that they are all neo-Nazis. But <laughs> you see, you know, we saw we saw swastikas there. We saw far-right rhetoric. The Nuremberg Code has its own website in New Zealand now asking for politicians and journalists and whatnot to be executed for their crimes against freedom. So it's it's this it's this mishmash of far-right of alternative health, of people who probably more identify as counterculture or hippies, to, if that's even a label you want to apply. And it's early on the pandemic, it was this great article about the crossover of the Nazi hippie, the Nazi hippie phenomenon. And I think we've seen this playing out as well. And a lot of, again, I think a lot of common New Zealanders are not aware or were not aware how far the far right, far right groups and anti democratic groups have crept into those spaces and manipulating people. And the iron of it, of it also, if you look at the face of the protests in Wellington, especially towards the end when it became quite heated and violent and angry, the demographic probably shifted a bit there. And it was, we saw a lot of Maori men there, people who are probably disenfranchised in New Zealand. And I mean, they are, they're, they've, they've dealt with, with racism all their lives. They're, they're carrying colonial trauma, um, their distrust in state authority is a minimum. And of course, you can't just label them all as far right. And yet again, they don't often see how much they're also being played by some of these influences like counterspin and so on. So it's a super complex topic. And because it's not so easy to just label it one way or the other, it makes it harder for, for people who just say, well, here are just people protesting for their freedom and their mandates are not right and it's just my body, my choice, and don't you come calling me Nazi just because I'm standing up for that right. It makes it, it – we have to be really nuanced, but at the same time, not be oblivious to who's active in that space. Anka, you're coming at this from the perspective of a cult researcher. When you look at these conspiracy groups, do you see cult dynamics at play? For sure. And I, 
<laughs> I often get flack when I say this because <laughs> no one wants to be seen as being in a cult and no group wants to be called a cult and no one identifies as a cult, just like no racist ever calls themselves a racist, right? The dynamics are not so easy to spot and, and cults don't really look like cults. It's not just about having a, a leader in an orange gown, a guru doing weird things. It's more about the, the power structures, the dynamics, what pulls people in, the love bombing and support they experience. For instance, if they've been, okay, I'll give, I'll give you an example with anti-vex, for instance. So, of course, not everyone who's vaccine hesitant is part of a cult. Anti-vax is quite a specific term, though, and that's a well-established movement that's monetizing people's fears, that's being driven by disinformation superstars like Robert Kennedy and so on. And, yes, in how they operate and how they push and pull people into, in, into radicalization even, that is no different to a cult. So for instance, if you're someone who's had, um, who's a mother or young parent, it's often mothers, often, often women who are, who are sucked into this because they're often the ones providing for the health of the family and going, taking the kids to the doctor, buying, buying the supplements and the foods and all of that. So let's say you have a baby, baby's had his first vaccinations and maybe gets a fever the next day and you don't know whether that's related to the vaccination, but you're, you're in fear, you're a young mother, and you call a helpline from the hospital or so, and they dismiss you, or they just don't have time for you, or they treat you like you're hysterical, and that doesn't count what you're worried about. And then maybe you talk to a friend, and they say, oh, do you know, have you heard of vaccine injuries? And that could be that. And next minute, you end up in a group where a lot of people really support your views and say, actually, yeah, we can help you. We understand what you've gone through. We've had the same. Look at this. Look at that. Look at this research. Look at look at this guy on YouTube. He talks about this. And in no time, you go from just being a normal, worried parent with no intention to be fanatical about anything to becoming a believer in, 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 a, in, a, in, in something which is really quite a belief system. So that's where I see the, the cultic dynamic of being sucked into something, then eventually becoming more and more entrenched in your views, becoming radicalized. And if you look at I mean, QAnon is a cult. It's a it's an online mega cult, and again, it doesn't look like any any of the cults that we know. It doesn't look like Lorivel, right, or the the Moonies or Scientology. There isn't even an obvious leader figure, and yet it has the same or even more power because it, it's 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 so vast and so fast. And the online radicalization and the algorithms that really work in the favor of such a cult can cause just so much more harm. And look at look at the Capitol riot and so on. So people who probably a year or so before were just going after their normal alternative shamanic business or whatever they were doing, turn up um, with weapons wanting to execute politicians. Politicians, yeah. So, what's happened in that time, and that's that's the cultic dynamic. Oh, speaking of the Capital Riot, uh, Wellington had its own sort of warehouse brand Capital Riot, uh, the occupation at the Beehive. Could you tell us a little bit about what that involved? Yeah, it was very interesting. Also, for me as someone who's been to many alternative festivals and um, know, yeah knows the New Zealand music festival scene a little bit, there was a, a there was there was a part of it that was even had an event name on Facebook called Profest, run by organized by festival organizers, and they had stages. They had um, what they called Freedom Village, where you could get free food, and there were bouncy castles for the kids, and it was really like a big festival party atmosphere. And again, it's that vibe, it's that feel, sense of community and belonging and coming together for for a common purpose, which is actually a wonderful thing. But if it's 
but but in a in a cultural context, it's it can you know it can take you to a place where you stand up for things that are actually completely wrong. So we had this. So so the protests. I've actually haven't been there, so I'm, I can only you know go by all the live streams I've seen and the the reporting I've seen and people from both sides who've talked about it openly. So we had the alternative faction, the profess, the hippies, and you had we, there were swastikas, there were um, gallows and nooses for Jacinda Ardern. There there were people. I remember the nurse. I don't know if you saw this in one of the live streams. A nurse on stage towards the end, manic eyes, saying that warning people of the shedding that comes from the vaccines that she's seen a sheep bleeding because of something. It was just absolutely. You saw people. We think, oh my god, what's that? What has actually happened to them? How how have they become so fanatical about this? And then, of course, there were people who were just there because they thought they're doing the right thing. And there was a lot of aggression towards journalists. So what I've heard from colleagues, they wouldn't wear their lanyards, their press lanyards there anymore from stuff or so. People being accosted and um, aggression against them if they wore masks, just walking past. So for Wellington, it was a really big deal having that there. It really impacted on the way people felt about the city. And at the end, after 23 days, you probably know that Trevor Mallard, speaker, of the house, turned on the sprinklers and blasted out Barry Manilow. So that's that's New Zealand for you, right? I mean, I'm from Europe. When there's a riot, people kind of police comes out with tear gas and whatnot. In New Zealand, you get Barry Manilow and sprinklers. So that was kind of sweet on that level, right? That they they tried everything to keep it peaceful, and the, the council provided portaloos and and but there were also lots of businesses supporting um, the. the Protests with showers and portaloos and food and whatnot. So it became this big mission. So some people set over with a pirate ship from Picton, the South Island, because they again couldn't get on the ferry without vaccination and so on. So it, it became this thing that people flocked to from certain communities who'd probably never been at any political protest before, but it just it had this pull of, oh, you want to be there because your tri- quote unquote tribe is there. And then, like I said, towards the end, probably a lot of people who are just angry per se for. A, a, a number of reasons, frustrated by two years of on and off lockdowns of whatever, uh, against authority, um, feeling disenfranchised in society for starters, and then just using that as a as a point to to let out aggression. And yeah, so after twenty three days, things went to you know things got quite violent, and fires were lit, and and a playground burned down, and police came in. And I think it was quite a shock for a lot of New Zealanders because we are a very peaceful country. We don't really see violent rallies in the streets, but different to to Europe where that wouldn't be so shocking to see a clash between protesters and police. But for for New Zealand, it was quite shocking. It reminded some people of the Springbok tour in the 1980s. Um, So some comparisons to that were sometimes put up, but of course, a very different demographic this time of who who was protesting. So I think it's still, people probably will be studying and analyzing this and talking about the protest for a long time to come because, yeah, it's been an out for New Zealand, for sure. I think a lot of people uh, sort of saw the Canberra and Wellington convoys that uh, that led to the, these large protests as sort of lame copies of the one in Canada, but I don't think the Canadians ever had a pirate ship. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. Most such liberal 
countries. And uh, if you think of Australia as being American in comparison and Canada, the more sort of liberal, uh, more progressive, smaller brother, it's kind of what we are to Australia, I guess. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know why we, we were, we became such a copycat event for the Canberra protest, but yeah, we were. And yeah, and you had the groundswell people in there and the truckers and, and don't forget the mega churches like Destiny Church, they were a massive player in this and they really churned on the, the protest and um, played a big part. And not just in the protest, but also, which is, which is far worse. Because I mean, I don't really mind a protest personally. You know, I think people should, pro they have a right to protest. For me, it's far worse as why are they doing this? Because they believe in misinformation and all this energy directed towards government. Where imagine if they would stand up against sexism and climate change and racism, right? we could change the world. So Destiny Church, they've been a, a major misinformation spreader, as have other bigger churches in, in New Zealand. So, yeah, it's it, again, it's a weird mix of evangelicals, quote-unquote hippies, far-right, and everything else in between. We have a, an election coming up in Australia quite soon, and there's uh, various uh, people who've been quite active in the anti-vaccination and anti-lockdown movement uh, taking part in uh, various capacities. But in Thinking about the kind of violent rhetoric that's been engaged in by many of the people involved in the movement, one of the things I've had some concerns about is I don't expect these parties or candidates to do very well, and I wonder what the reaction will be if they don't sweep into power. I think many are possessed of the idea that they're actually they are a, a you know genuine representation of the, the general will. If they if they fail, then it's you know because the deep state has conspired against them. But I think in that context, there's potential for, you know, perhaps further alienation and, and perhaps uh, more uh, violent activities taking place. Do you think that the, the, the question of violence is a, a serious one in this context? And how do you think it should be approached or, or understood? Well, look, I'm not a political or extremism analyst. So I guess our... Anti-terrorism authorities will be monitoring that to some degree. At the same time, we don't really have a government body that monitors cultic influence and radicalization at the level where it's just in people's brains and not being put into action, right? So it's it's hard to say. Like I said, I, I can't make any prognosis, but I think what we can see – oh, by the way, when I say we, uh, I'm a member of Fact Aotearoa, so – FACT stands for Fight Against Conspiracy Theories, and we're an action group pushing back against misinformation. We're educators and doctors and nurses and people just wanting to do something about this. And so a few of us monitor a lot of telegram groups and see a lot of more stuff than I actually do. But what we see and what's become really obvious is, yeah, now that the protest is over and the mandates have been lifted and vaccines are just not the big issue anymore, where are these people turning next? And what we're seeing is um, a lot of pro-Putin rhetoric. It's free. It's We will see. It's early days. These people are already together. They've already left mainstream to society to a certain degree. They're on Telegram. They've found their new leaders. They've found their media outlets like Counterspin or Voices for Freedom. And where where are these leaders and groups taking them next? That's That's exactly the question. And I'm not sure. I don't think that – I don't think it's likely that any of those figureheads that we know is going to stand there and say, let's do this and this violent act, yeah? 
But as as in as with the the Christchurch terrorist, you never know what goes on in someone's brain who's just a keyboard warrior somewhere in his mother's basement, super radicalized, passionate, and wants to do what he thinks. I'm just always saying he, but I think the chances are more likely it's a it's a white male wants to do something heroic in his eyes and take it to the next level and, and just does something that is is violent. We just don't know. We we haven't seen it coming. I mean, you know, the, the lone wolf thing that we always thought was what, what was the crisis uh, terrorist, he has been radicalized in through online groups and through algorithms and so on and so on. So I don't think it's completely unlikely that the same thing, maybe not exactly on the same scale, hopefully not, but something that we, we just don't know yet could, could be happening. It doesn't even have to be pushed from the top. It's just something that people just do themselves by being becoming more and more fanatic and also no one stopping them from egging each other on. So yeah, what can we do? So I think deplatforming is the big is is a big one. And of course then we're dealing with freedom of speech and cancel culture, um accusations and all of that. But yeah, no, I think as as fact out at all, we we absolutely want Facebook and Twitter and all the social media platforms to really step up and take their role more seriously in regulating what content they allow. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, I mean, that's a, for the long haul. It's not, it's not going to be effective before the next elections, but it's, um, our curriculum, our, our schools, critical thinking skills, card education, card education, just as important as sex education these days, right? And then, as I said before, uh, a government body, like an anti-card agency, a lot of Western countries these days have that, have, have had that for years and years. It was, traditionally done by churches because they saw cults or see cults more as a threat. They're on their territory <laughs> competing with them. But these days there's some really good government officials in various countries trying to push back against cultic influence in all the right ways and also offering counseling for people who have been affected by it. So another thing we, we need to think about is what about all these people who have fallen down the rabbit hole and who are maybe now coming out of it? or who are having a change of heart finally, or who who see that where they've ended up and how it's destroyed their, their relationship and their social lives and they lost their job over it and how to help them out of that. I think it's also should also be a big part of what we do. And by we, I don't mean just fact, but also our society. How do we build bridges to people who who've been there and it's not always their fault. It's not, it's not someone's fault per se that they get sucked into misinformation. We're all susceptible to it to some degree. So how to, how to reach out a hand to those people who, who need it? Because if we don't do that, if we don't allow them back into society, if we, then they're going to become more radicalized and their friends are just going to be the, the ones at the other end of the spectrum who are pushing them further and further down the rabbit hole. So that's something I'm quite passionate about. Well, Anka, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there. If people want to find you on Twitter, uh, you are at. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually not really active there. I'm so sorry. I, I have to step up and become a good, a good Twitter user. I, I promise to do that. But I can also, um, it's Anka Richter. Is it Anka Richter scale on Twitter? Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> is that on Instagram? I, I had the. But... I was also going to plug the, the fact uh, Twitter. Yes, plug plug the fact Twitter, please. Fact our terror. I know if it's a mouthful for anyone who's not from our terror. Fact our terror. We also have a great Facebook page, fact our terror dot nz, and I can highly recommend. 
joined um, a Facebook group that is not fact, but it was started by some members from fact, including me. And it's called Rabbit Hole Resistance. And it's a, it's a group for people who feel passionate about these things and want to talk about it with others. And the ethos is of one of compassion and not, not mocking and shaming people who've fallen down the rabbit hole, but talking about, you know, what can we do to not make it worse and help them get out. So that's a great group. And, uh, and members from Australia everywhere are more than welcome. Goes across, goes across the Tasman for sure. Hey you mob, it's time to get back to the community, so get your proof of vaccination ready. Get started by creating a MyGov account if you don't already have one and linking your Medicare number. Then add your COVID-19 digital certificate to the Service Victoria app. Now you're ready to go. Your COVID-19 digital certificate is your ticket. Let's show it with kindness to the businesses we visit and the Victorians who run them. Visit coronavirus.vic.gov.au forward slash vaxproof. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter.